0: thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 podcast. Here we go.
1: Hello and welcome to Almost 30. We're so glad you're here. Hey everyone. It's Lindsay and Krista. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's It's been a wild ride the last three and a half years and we're so grateful to continue to serve you and just have really honest conversations. As always, I'm Krista. Oh yeah!
0: <laughs> Did you? I was like, it's Lindsay and Krista. I oh took- my god, <laughs> guys! I'm I'm an old dog here, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're we're again excited. We've been having a lot of really deep conversations about what is happening in the world today, and trying to do our best to you know shine light on the important messages within the movement that is happening. It is so important that we work as hard as we can on anti-racism in our community, in our family, in our Facebook group, even in our, with our listeners. And that is really what we've been focusing on for the past couple of weeks and even the past years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We started this work in 2018, which candidly is late period, you know what I mean? So, but, but since then it's been um, very much a part of who we are um, as almost 30 yeah. The Facebook group, if you're not a part of it, I highly recommend joining the group. We have incredible moderators in the group that are just creating and setting a space for honest conversations, thoughtful, supportive conversations, conversations that have really taught me so much, that continue to teach our community and just help them grow. This is what it's about. No matter where you are in your journey, whether you're just waking up to the fact that uh, racism like has been <laughs> systemic like for 400 plus years, yeah. like it's okay, yeah, like you know, meeting yourself where you are and committing to the work. Can't turn away. Yeah. You can't turn away. We're here to learn and grow together. Yeah.
0: It's been interesting like with all of the people that I connect with regularly to see them waking up now. And it reminds me so much And what I've been really grappling with within what we do, like in the wellness space and the spirituality space is like a lot of the information within the anti-racism movement. And when we talk about, you know, systematic racism and white supremacy, a lot of that goes against a lot of spiritual teachings that are very popular today, which is, um, you know, your thoughts create your reality that you chose, you know, as an example that your soul chose to be incarnated in this situation to experience these things. And it's all a choice, you know, it's all destiny or it's all a choice. So it's been so interesting to like unpack that and really work with that information. information like as you open your eyes to like the reality of the world and I was like talking about it for so long with my therapist like about that and how I can it's like unlearn it's like it's like be aware but unlearn so I've just been thinking about that so
1: much lately about you know The spirituality conversation of of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To that point, I was talking to a friend and we were talking about where we're getting our information. So whether it's spirituality or whether it's from the news, reading articles, blogs, even on Instagram. And it was interesting what she said. She's like, I've actually been taking in some information and not to necessarily believe it but from like the far right and the far left and like in the middle because we don't know necessarily if everything we're we're receiving and hearing is true that's like an extreme you know word true but to know what is what exists like the far right if we're watching fox news or what have you to know that that exists and so like in in my mind, it was just interesting because I don't, I don't actually really watch the news a lot. I have been more, as of late, but to actually know that that those opinions, those groups, like those movements, are happening on the way other side as well, um, also helps me to just kind of stand a bit more grounded and firm in what I believe and in my resolve. So it was just really interesting because I never thought to kind of diversify the way in which I'm taking in information. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything is the echo chamber, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I think that's been interesting too. Like we were talking about with Jessica Laniadu, um, the astrologer during the live we did yesterday about mm-hmm. the amplified melanated voices and the muted movement yes. and how that really shifted the algorithm And that was really the point of it, to shift the algorithm to not center whiteness always and to just have other people have a chance to like be seen. And so it's been really powerful to see um, more of our community follow black women, more of our community follow women of color. But yeah, as far as the information goes, it's like, being thoughtful about consuming information, but then also too like finding time to be quiet, to find what's true for you. And I think that's sometimes the part that's missing, even for me, you know, the time to be quiet, to just know what's true for me and what's true for my heart. So for any of the information, it's like disseminating it, breaking it down, digesting it, and then like sinking in and leaning into what my truth.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if, if you guys relate out there, but, just with social media in general, you know, I've found it to be such a great resource as of late, and such a great way to to learn, grow, support Black women, Black men, uh, people of color in general, and also, you know, to your point, I just have this strong pull to take a moment, and there is like a kind of a conflict there. So if I'm not keeping up with what's happening, am I going to miss something and then miss the point? You know, I, I just I have a little bit of anxiety around that, which it pales in comparison to what's what's going on, but I'm just like kind of having those conversations with myself where I don't wanna show up without having integrated what I just learned, right? Like just really have that time for integration, whether it's, you know, we're taking courses, we're reading books, we're we're watching movies, we're listening to podcasts. And I'm the type of person and a lot of us are where it's just like, I kind of need that moment. But I also feel this like very intense energy of like, you need to stay Connected online. Yeah, for sure. Connected on Instagram.
0: Yeah, I'm sure so many people feel that yeah. way. And it's been crazy to see like with our our friends and people in our space again, like how many, they keep coming to to me to ask about, about certain things, I think, because they feel comfortable with another white woman asking about things. But it's really more about like, how do they respond to people, their community being like, why aren't you speaking to this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing all these things? And so much of that for me, personally doesn't feel like the right type of action it's like yo always worry about your side of the street yeah. you know what i mean everyone is like yes we should call out people we care about for sure like call them to call them to change call them to awareness call them in you know but i don't feel like the way that people are calling out people and telling them what to say and do is the move. Mm-hmm. And it's even like, I got even a message. What was the other day? My, my community is like angels. You know, I really don't get anything that combative or that directive or that judgmental ever. I think because I'm, I'm so like, dude, don't even come at me. But I got something that was like, I hope you've grow out, grown out of something. It was like something I watch on TV. It was like, I hope you've grown out of this show on TV. And they said, I hope <laughs> you've grown out of. Are you my mom? honestly I was like yo please come again I have I'm I'm literally 32 years old I'm I was beyond I was beyond the wording of I hope you've grown out of I'm wow. like please please do not come at me and say I hope you've grown out of anything that is so fucking that is
1: rude it's
0: just so entitled like what the fuck do you mean
1: like, and so unconscious. <laughs>
0: unconscious. Anyways, the point of that was like, just always do your own work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just, just yeah. truly worry about
1: your own shit and don't damn don't DM me that shit. Jocelyn Yadu in the live that you did with her the other day. And by the way, you can watch that um, on our IGTV. But it was interesting to hear her talk about cancel culture being over. And I just found it so fascinating because, yeah, I agree. Like there has to be a switch so that what we are doing and saying isn't so divisive. It is that invitation in it is like, let's ha let's stumble through that conversation. Like let us support one another as we grow. And so much of that comes from, like you said, like making sure that you are doing the work, and not judging yourself for it. Cause most likely if you're judging other people, you're judging yourself. So it's like, it's really fine tuning, fine tuning that. And it's just to the point of like the wellness industry and self development, you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm not saying like anti-racism work is another piece of my like self care, self development, et cetera. But if we've adhered to this world where going in, leaning in, doing the work has been a part of like what we do. I'm just like, can we can we walk that talk? Like in everything we do, like how we do one thing is how we're gonna do everything just because this seems to be more confronting. And I'm speaking to people who are not black, who are not POC, like just because it feels more confronting doesn't mean like you don't have everything you need to lean in and do this work you know, to really be with this. So, you know, I know we're all on different points in the spectrum within this work, but just trusting yourselves to do that hmm
0: Yeah, I guess with that point, it's like, do people have I think they have the
1: information, but I don't know if people maybe don't have the support system. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is definitely being, don't have the information. Yeah. I'm just saying like they have what they need in terms of like if they've shown up for themselves before and done yeah, work to that's a good one. to grow and mm-hmm. and and step into kind of that next level of themselves, like
0: you that, could do this, this is
1: part of your evolution yeah, is for to sure. do this work, right? For sure. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I feel that.
0: Yeah, it was even interesting with Jessica, you know, talking about cancel culture and I'll say it here. It's just like, I feel like I don't feel anything about cancel culture because I've actually spoke, I think I spoke about it a year ago that I kind of was like, I wasn't down with it. But now I just feel like I have no, I don't have the the right to say anything about it because it's not me that's been a victim of the people that are being canceled. So it's like, you know, the victims of the people that are being canceled are the ones that have the right to speak their mind or say whatever they want. And as a white woman, it's like, who am I to say that, you know, this group of underserved, underseen people can't be finally using their voice to like make change. So I kind of just like watch, I kind of
1: just like, okay, respect. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, it's not my place. And her point was like, we can cancel like, systems yes. and institutions you know when when we cancel individuals it just feels different counterproductive yeah. maybe yeah. yeah um thanks for coming to our ted talk <laughs> <laughs> and by the way our intros are now on youtube we use yes. video now so just wanted to
0: come through face <laughs> directed you to youtube come through see my dude maybe one day i'll fucking wear makeup but nah. also nah just know you know it's been kind of it's been hard to show up on the pod have the intros and be funny and fun during this time so just know that we're being you know we just want to be mindful and we don't want to be tone deaf and we want to be and it doesn't
1: feel authentic to us to like show up and be fucking silly good uses. yeah you know we're just
0: always gonna be ourselves and we really appreciate
1: you know you guys being here for this Mm mm-hmm and today's conversation uh, with Trudy Lebron is a really important one. I love Trudy. I love. I. I actually did not know the work in which she's doing, specifically coaching coaches on diversity and inclusivity, is one that I hadn't really heard I of me mean, before. How fucking important is that? So important, um, dude. It's so important. Yeah, I just. I. I loved her, and one of the things that stood out to me was the way in which she emphasizes making your impact as a coach, and this really applies, by the way, to anyone, we're making your impact dynamic. So it's like not focusing necessarily on the numbers, like making this salary and reaching this many people. It's like really thinking about your impact in the world as super dynamic, like, you know, whether it's mentorship or you are, you know, donating to certain causes on a regular basis, but, you know, really looking at success in a different way. And I loved that.
0: Yeah. And especially within the coaching community, I think from our perspective, and maybe we've just had access to more white women in the coaching space or white men. And so it is a space that like when we are when we are doing or participating in the processes that are presented by coaches whether it's like a wealth mindset or whether it's a growth mindset or whether it's like figuring out how to run your business or set up your business, there's so many parts of that that touch on diversity, equity and inclusion that it's like how has this potentially been missed for so long? So I'm really thankful, you know, that Trudy's on today to to talk us through the importance of this in the coaching space, and then just in general. So we talk through, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and anti-racism. What the differences are. Um, we also talk about spiritual bypassing. What spiritual bypassing is when it's seen. Uh, we talk about microaggressions that she's experienced in her time um, as she's come up to where she is today, and we also talk about, you know, the situation recently that happened with Marie Forleo. Where she called out or in, you know, I get, I'm not sure, Marie Forleo on the way that she showed up in her um, community on Facebook. So, what had happened was Marie was deleting comments and silencing people, and Trudy, you know, called that out to Marie to make her aware of the damage that was done through that process.
1: Yeah. So, this conversation, uh, I highly suggest you know, being in a place where you can take it in, take notes. I just love Trudy so much. Trudylebron.com. If you would like to work with Trudy, highly recommend. And I just thought it was really interesting and truth telling where she found that in her work, like a lot of the coaches she was coaching and started to coach hadn't done the work themselves and we we see that a lot you know what we do I mean. we see coaches out there life coaches out there who are 19 so you know it's <laughs> like do the work do the work uh yourself and you will experience such a fruitful business and purpose you know so uh, trudylebron.com t r u d i l e b r o n .com yeah we love you guys we will see you on the next side thanks for listening before we do this get started with a little bit
0: of background because I actually I love your story I think it's so profound and I think it's so beautiful and it humanizes someone that feels so smart to me so I would love to hear you know a little bit about what brought you to the work that you do today yeah I thought
2: that my work was going to be um, I thought I was going to be like a consultant. For schools. Well, first I thought I was going to be a hip hop artist, but that was like <laughs> another life. That was like when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, but what I really thought my business was going to be when I set out to start, you know, my entrepreneurial journey, I thought I was going to be designing curriculum and doing training for teachers and social workers who were working with students um, in urban schools who were like considered high risk youth so black and brown youth teen moms uh students who were like over age under credit like that kind of population which is the population of students that i had worked with when i was doing youth development and that was like my first area of expertise was youth adolescent and young adult development so i set out to you know start doing that because i was a teen mom and like i had a just Experience after experience after experience interacting with different systems like school systems and social work and Department of Social Services and those kinds of systems. Um, And then also just general life, where I was really treated in ways that were just you would never treat a human being. Like, you know, like just strange. I remember strangers walking up to me. And telling me, you know, like me pregnant or like with a child and also pregnant or with a two pushing two children in a double stroller and visibly like a kid, right? Like 16, 17 years old. I had both of my sons by the time I was 16. And, you know, people saying like, oh, you're going to be a burden on society. Like strangers. Whoa. Stranger, strangers would walk up to me and ask me if they had the same father. Strangers would just like, just you know the stares, the eye rolls, the like just all kinds of just all kinds of assumptions. Um, the fact that like I left, I I disappeared from a school system. Like I left pregnant when I was in ninth grade, and there wasn't any follow up. It was just kind of like, oh, she's pregnant. That's it. And just it was just allowed to happen. So you know I noted it was a noticeable difference. And I became obsessed. I was also like super stubborn. So, all of the things that people told me about how like your life is going to be over and it's going to be so hard and you're going to be broke forever and like your kids are going to be like all these, you know, horrible things and stupid, all, all of the stereotypes. I was like, absolutely not. Like, watch, you know, watch me. At the time, like, it took me a long time to realize that doing things because like to prove other people wrong that the energy that it takes to do things when you're coming from that place is just so draining like it people people hear it and they're like oh like well good for you like you proved them wrong it's like i shouldn't have had to You know, like we shouldn't have had to. People shouldn't have to do things because they're proving other people wrong, because it just shifts the way that you're able to approach your life, and it adds this level of stresses and anxiety that you just don't have if you're just like living your life regularly, like not in spite of anything else, but just that you're just living, right? So, anyway, went finished high school, went to college. How did you go to college? So I actually kind of like homeschooled myself through high school and i I got a GD. actually, I got a GD a year early, like earlier than I would have graduated high school and I was a college freshman when the rest of my graduating class were starting their senior year in high school in high school. So I just like found a different way. I was always looking for a different way to be successful. Like, you know, I knew what I wanted and I was like, there got to be another way to get there. Like this this path isn't going to work for me, so like I have to find another way. And that has really become the central theme in like my own life. <laughs> anyway, so I passed the test, started at community college, then, you know, like went into, you know, regular uh, state university. Um, and I studied, like I got really obsessed with understanding how some people achieve Certain life outcomes in the face of all of the statistic disadvantages that they might be facing. And so I got really that that became like what I studied first, like as a minor social, like a social science minor, but then in grad school as a, you know, master's in psychology. And then um, in my PhD program in social psychology, like really trying to understand what makes the difference for people to be successful. And then how does that become institutionalized? So How do businesses and like systems, right? Nonprofits, businesses, school systems create the conditions and the environments that either help people be successful or not? Which is why now I work with people in their businesses. Like I do this applied diversity, equity, and inclusion work because I'm really interested in helping people institutionalize practices that create equity. It's not just about like, how are we better people, but how do we create that? so that it can be scaled and replicated. Because it's in the systems where people become like marginalized, like where entire communities become marginalized, right? It's not just because like, people don't like each other. It's because we built systems that systemically oppress people. And and for the work that I do now, which is focused on helping businesses, particularly businesses in the personal development industry, create spaces that are more equitable, that are more inclusive, it ties directly into this because the narratives that we get about what our life is supposed to be are 100% based on patriarchal, capitalistic, white supremacist idea of what a life should look like. Like that is what the country was built on. And I know that sounds really uncomfortable, but if we think about it, like that is what, that's what we have. Like the, the, the systems that, the way that we teach people to build business, the marketing strategies that we teach people to use, the decision-making that we have, like the way we teach children in school, like that everything is about achievement and it's not, about, don't, you don't come to school to play or socialize. You come to like, learn and to achieve right like all of these things are about winning and power and dominance and that is what marginalizes people because it puts people in this like constant battle against each other and all the time because of anti-blackness all of the time what it's going to do is like push black and brown folks to the margins continually and we need to be intentionally disrupting that pattern if we're ever going to like have something different
0: When did you realize that you wanted, you know, the work in this space happen? Like, I know, so you grew up as someone that was like wanting to prove, prove everyone wrong, being a sixteen-year-old mom. But what about race was so was such a pull to you?
2: Yeah. So for me, race was always a central part of my identity because I'm a biracial Latina, right? And so I'm a light-skinned biracial woman my father is afro- Latino he's if you just looked at him he's a black man right so I grew up that's what I tell people when you're white you just get to be white like you just you don't even have to think about it most white people if you ask them when was the first time they thought about that they realized they were white usually they'll say like I mean I've had that conversation with people who've been like oh, I've never even thought about that mm-hmm. question right but usually they'll say you know 12. You know, somewhere in school when they like made their first non white friend, you know, like where it starts to become a realization. But when you're not white, you always know that you're not white. So I, rem- I can't remember a time when I didn't know that I wasn't all the way white because people were constantly asking me, What are you? Where are you from? Is that your dad? How could he be your dad? oh, you speak Spanish, like show me like these kinds of like, you know, and these messages are meant to what maybe they're not meant to, but what they do is they tell people that they're not part of the in group, like the dominant group. So race has always been something that I have always been super mindful of and really aware of and having biracial identity is something that, you know, they're just unique, especially when you are light skinned. You know, there's just like a lot of like negotiating of your own identity so that because you don't feel like you fit in in places sometimes, so there's just like a lot of reconciling that has to happen. But then for me, going into a space where professionally, where I started to understand more about like what makes people what makes some people achieve and what other people's don't, or like what privileges some people and disadvantages other people, the ways that that cuts like that breaks down across race, it it's heartbreaking. Like it is just so clear, like and from a data place. It's when you grow up in it, you know it. Like I I grew up in an urban environment. Like it's something that I saw all the time, how like my black and brown friends, darker skin friends were treated differently than the white people. Like that was something that was always clear. Right, how my father would be pulled over, like those kinds of things, right? But to see it on on paper, like in data, it like brings it to a different level, and so like it it became a natural part of the work that I was doing to be to to talk about it. I realized that nothing will change, like no, we can do all of the when I when I started doing this work for some reason. It got like diversity work got lumped into anti-bullying work when like anti-bullying was like a big, yeah, thing, uh, and so those two things got really muddled together, like in uh, from a professional perspective. And what I realized was that the anti-bullying curriculum that we would sometimes come into schools and do just didn't work in Black communities. Like when we went into the school system that I grew up in, and uh, and did the anti-bullying curriculum it just didn't work <laughs> like it worked perfectly in like the white suburb down the street you know and i just started realizing these things aren't built for my community like it, this stuff wasn't built for us and i was like we have to start building things in te- to intentionally include people in order for them to work
1: yeah there's so much so much there i would love to shift into the, the coaching work, um, yeah. and working with coaches and so many people who are wanting to become coaches, but are unwilling to do the work to unpack kind of their side of the street, Yeah, which seems like uh, obvious that it's very counterintuitive, but what did you find in first working with coaches and why that is like kind of the desire to become a coach? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So what's interesting is that like when I came into the coaching industry, maybe like now t- twenty sixteen, when I like, like I'm gonna hire my coach. I was at a point in my business where it couldn't grow unless I got some help, but I really couldn't afford to get help. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like that kind of chicken and egg moment that mm-hmm. so many of us understand. So I jumped in and like joined a mastermind but I had been doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in schools and nonprofits for years by this point, right? So this is not like a new work for me. Like I've been around <laughs> for a while. So I get into the coaching industry and I'm like, whoa, this place is white. Like this is Yo. like <laughs> super white, right? Like yes. And like, it, it, it's it, super white in like the people, the, there were no other non-white people. I, I am very light-skinned and I was the brownest person like in the cohort people that I was, you know, in a mastermind with, like I just micro, you know, people would say things that were not appropriate. Like, for example, you know, me sharing that I'm a teen mom. That's not something that I always disclose when I show up. Well, now more because people know me, but at the beginning, it's not something that I would like open up a conversation with, but you know how people will get together moms will be like, oh, you have kids. I'm like, yeah, I have kids. And I'm like, oh, my kids are like 18 and I get these looks right away. That people are like looking at me, trying to figure out how old I am, doing math in their head. You know what I mean? Like it's just like this really uncomfortable thing. And then inevitably, it'd be like, "Well, how how old are you? Like, how old were you when you had your kids? Like, oh, like what did your parents say? Like all of these like super personal questions that you really shouldn't ask For people sure. that you don't know. But people feel entitled because they don't know that story. But that is, I tell you, like I have never had that experience if I go somewhere and it's the room full of other black and brown moms, because it's because they get it like culturally, even if they weren't teen parents, like they, they understand that that's just not it, that that's something that happens sometimes and it's not the end of the world. And you know what I mean? But like for white people, like it's just a whole different, there's just a whole different narrative wrapped around it. And so, you know, just, just things. And then all of the, you know, spiritual bypassy things and different Kinds of coaching advice and double your rates and all all these things. That's my favorite one. Yeah, that's (laughs) mine too. (laughs) Mine too. And like super out of touch advice that when you're talking to people who have who are coming from a different place, whose entry point into business is about more than just making money, that advice doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to double my rates if the people that I want to help can't afford it
0: hundred percent.
1: You know what I mean? And like you have
2: no not,
0: experience. It's always like, dude, what? Well, that's you know right. what I mean? And you have, right.
2: And on top of that, you have no experience. What? Exactly. <laughs> I remember hearing like whenever I hear people say, oh, just like be
0: a coach. You don't need to." I Yo. just like I want to flip a table. <laughs> so, honey, you want, I, I mean, you probably more, but mine's the same. It's like, it's like when people want to exit their life or their corporate job, I feel like that's like the track that they, they take. Instead of like mastering the, the the lane that they're in, they use it as an exit point to yeah. create something new.
2: Yeah, that, it drives me it drives me crazy. And then people wonder why they can't get clients. It's like, well, 100%. you know, and like, it mm-hmm. might need some more experience. You need to bring some like expertise to the table here, right? Um. So anyway, all all of these things were happening, and I'm watching. And people using language that was just inappropriate and culturally appropriate, appropriative, and all of these things. And I was like, "Oh, these people don't know." Like, this industry hasn't had the awakening (laughs) in the ways that, like, education has been dealing with this for years. Tech, even though they're not doing a great job, they've had like diversity initiatives. Like other sectors have no know that this is something that they need to do. But the coaching industry, and I think it's partly because the coaching industry is a bunch of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. you know like for the most part and there's no like hr department saying like hey you got to like you know mm-hmm. go to the diversity training so people aren't paying attention to it and then the other part is that coaching and paying for coaching it's countercultural for people of color for black and brown folks like i my father if my father knew what I invested in my first coach, he probably would like just jack me up because like he just, like the idea that you would pay for personal development is just not something mm. that is a sound financial decision. you know what I mean yes. but like that's something that's super regular for yeah. lots of white folks and now i'm ge- I am generalizing, but I am talking like statistically speaking, like that it's it is just a different. There's a different orientation to the idea of like paying for. Well, that you have kind of- to
0: have a certain level of income to be able to, to to have an expense such as coaching. It's like cover your food, right. cover your bills, cover your necessities, and then the ability to cover the next level, and then the ability to think critically about the way in which you're showing up in your life is like a third right. or fourth level of being able to to spend, which yeah. is like mostly afforded to white people who've been right. who've had the privilege to not maybe pay for school or x, y, and z, right. so many things.
2: But even, you know, I'm thinking like even my father's family who were like, you know, my father is, a, you know, super stable income, like, you know, definitely had, probably has enough, you know, disposable, flexible income to be paying for something like coaching, but he would never do that because it's just like, that's not what you do with your money. Mm-hmm,
1: yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like you
2: need to be smarter. Like that's not a valuable thing. Like the thought of it is very self-indulgent. Uh,
0: huh. You know? mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. There's something you said that I want to dig into a little bit more, which is spiritual bypassing. And I want to talk a little bit more about how that shows up in the coaching world and even just like the wellness world in general. So can you talk about what that is and and some examples of how that shows up?
2: Yeah. So spiritual bypassing is the ideas that that perpetuate a lot of spiritual communities that dismiss real life Kind of situations and that kind of like allow people to just like pass by and, and account for like just real horrific things and to absolve themselves of responsibility is probably the best way to put it. So, for example, you know, this idea that um, many people hold that your soul chooses, you know, your soul chooses the life that it's going to have and that your soul knows before all of these things happen, like all of the things that are going to happen to you. And that you basically are consenting to the life that you have because your soul contract, like because you like you have chosen this, right? And so sometimes people who I'm starting to see this change, and people like hold space for multiple realities, but for a lot of people, what they'll say is like, "Oh, you know, I can't make you feel anything, or I can't cause you harm, or like." You know, you knew that you were going to be born as a black woman. And so, like, everything that's happened to you, like, you, are, it's something that your soul, it's a journey that your soul is on. And there's something from it that you have to learn. Right. And that's a bunch of crap. Like that's, you know, like that's just so, and and I don't like to, you know, as a, I try, I try to be as scientific as possible. And like, I, I don't like to get into debates about spirituality because like I can't, it's something I can't prove and you can't either. Like, and I get the difference between like belief and how important that is and, you know, and actual like facts and what is, and what's useful in a moment. And so it, what I have told people is like, cool, you can believe that. Like you can, you have every right to believe that soul contracts are real and that all of those things are true. Right. And that doesn't mean that what somebody is experiencing in this very physical body isn't harm, like isn't hurtful. Like you have to come to the space where like, yes, it's both, And how like saying to someone that, you chose that experience because there was something that you needed to your soul needed to learn from it is dismissed. Like it's mm. entirely dismissive and it only benefits the person who is like saying it, like it does know it's actually a real lazy coaching strategy because you're not actually helping the person. Yeah. You're not acknowledging where they are. Like That is not a helpful as it's gaslighting. Yeah.
1: And I think the missing piece there is like, okay, so the soul chooses the body, but like the body on earth, you know what I'm saying? So it's right, like right. in this reality. So like to right. be up here and kind of bypass everything that's happening in here is actually not in alignment with the fact that your soul chose this body on this earth rather than like on an, in another dimension on another planet or what have you. So it really, yeah. Right. Um, yeah.
2: Right. So it, it doesn't, you're not tending to the needs of the person, like exactly. in the space, like you're just not, you know, it, it's just not good. It's not sound coaching to me.
1: What is some other languaging you referenced before, like in coaching that would be considered, would would be considered racist, but if someone said it, it wouldn't be a blatant yeah, form of racism, but it would be kind of like a microaggression. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that like one of the things I I, I was talking to a group earlier today, And this example came up, and I've actually seen this, where people are explaining, you know, uh, folks of color, black and brown, indigenous folks are explaining how, like, a strategy might not work for them, or a, you know, a solution that a coach is offering isn't culturally relevant to them, mm. for example. And like coaches will sometimes say things like, well, is that a story you're telling yourself? Ooh. I've heard that quite often. <laughs> I've heard that one a lot, actually. Is that a story you're telling yourself? Or is it a want or a need? Like these kinds of like, is that a real? is that a real desire? Yeah. Or is it something you're making up? Like these kinds of things that are just like, if someone is telling you that they've had an experience that they, the impact of an experience they have makes them feel like they have been, that it is race-based or racialized or a strategy just won't work because the, comu- the community that they're going in is not valuing them because of their identity or whatever it is. And for you to say, is that a story you're telling yourself? Completely dismisses like just endless amounts of research that demonstrates that people are treated differently based on the color of their skin and we have to give people space to 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 be able to share their reality and help them solve the problems like help them come up with other solutions instead of being like well no just like apply the strategy or you're not like trying hard enough or oh the other one is like did you believe, did you believe it? Like sometimes around, especially we see this around money, um, when people are having a hard time selling or when people are like trying to, you know, they can't close, yeah, they can't close clients. People are, the the narrative is sometimes like, is, do you believe that you, that this is worth it? Or do you believe, and it just like, and and the thing is, what's, what's nuanced about all of this is that sometimes those are appropriate questions. And it's not that you can't ask those questions to everybody. It's just about like how and like how you let your client lead. This is culturally responsive coaching. And we're actually like working on a curriculum right now to be training people in culturally responsive coaching because we need like there's a lot of people who are in the role of coach who who call themselves coaches who are really operating as like consultants and strategists and so they're not i get real like i try not to get defensive because it's not cuz i get it i don't i'm not one of the people there's a lot of people who want coaching to be like a credentials kind of licensed thing i don't want that to happen but there is a science in coaching there's a whole body of psychology around coaching psychology and like we know strategies that support people and that move people closer to their goals and that are really like supportive to people. And there are a lot of people who are operating as coach- coaches, and what they're doing is just giving advice and saying, "Hey, do this, do that. That's not actual coaching. Co- if you were using coaching practices, you would be more likely to be like listening to your client, encouraging your client, drawing things from your clients and like incorporating what what they have in them with your experience. So it's like this collaborative like co-creation relationship, but what we have a lot of instead is like someone learned a, sh- a method and then they become a coach and they teach that method. You know, and like that gets perpetuated a lot. It's just not, you know, but that's that what I said before that capitalistic mm-hmm. like outcome driven, profit driven way of doing business.
0: Mm. Yes. So much. So much within that. So, and then within your space, you know, the space of coaching, I want to talk about the difference between, and if you think there's a difference between work in diversity, equity, and inclusion and anti-racism work. Do you think they're different or?
2: Yeah. So these are different words and different things like, and they they intertwine. So diversity, just, I'll, so I'll give you the quick, like rundown. So diversity is like just, the amount of people with different types of identities in a room. like Just picture that. So it could be racial diversity, age diversity, ethnicity, gender, right? Diversity on its own just means different types of people, right? Or different types of... You can have all kinds of diversity and all kinds of things. That's one thing. And before, we used to just worry about diversity, do diversity training, you would have diversity quotas, affirmative action, right like these things are about like creating ways for different people who are not white to be included in spaces or to be in spaces. Equity is about making sure that those people who are in the room are achieving outcomes at the same rates, right? So the difference between and so we, if we think in a, if we think about it in terms of like equal versus equitable, equal is that everybody is treated the same. Equitable is that everybody is treated differently based on their needs, so that they are getting the same thing. So if we have picture a school, picture a bunch of kids in a school, the goal is to graduate. Equal means everyone gets the exact same thing with the expectation that they graduate. We know that's not what happens and that's not what people need. Students are different. There's diversity of students for all kinds of different reasons. They need different things to get them to that bar of graduation, right? Which is why we see the graduation rates the way that they are in this country. Um, So equity... Is about creating conditions, well, for me in my work in, in coaching practices in businesses so that people are having are, are able to achieve success at this at similar rates. Right? Inclusion is about including everybody's needs in your plan in advance, <laughs> like making sure that you have prepared the space for them to be successful. So and that you've like thought about it and thought about what their needs are going to be. And you've really done the work to like include them. So it's not just that you're welcome to come, is that we have included you. And so your, your experience is going to be different. I always give the example of like, you can invite people over to dinner, and be like, oh, bring your friends, everybody's welcome. And then 20 people show up and half of them can't eat anything because you haven't accounted for anybody's dietary restrictions. You just made what you wanted to make. And you just expected that like everybody was going to be fine, but now you have some people just only eating salad
0: because like you know like come to LA it's about it's about ninety percent ninety percent are not eating or eating salad (laughs) so so that's like inclusion right that you have
2: thought about it Mm. so that everyone can have an equitable experience everybody leaves full now so you can know all of the information about like the history of racism and equity, diversity, inclusion, all of these things. Now, anti, and still not necessarily rise to the level of anti-racism. Anti-racism means that you are taking very specific action to disrupt racist patterns. So that's like next level work. And that means that you're taking risks, right? That you are taking a strong, active stance in opposition of racism. Just yesterday, we had the example of starbucks who told their employees that they couldn't wear anything related to black lives matter so they couldn't have buttons they couldn't like any anything at all for some people and i'm sure that starbucks thought that they were just that that was just going to be a good move so that they cannot be political and just like keep people happy keep you know keep people happy or whatever particularly racist because like it's going to be people it's the all lives matter people who are going to be upset by a black lives matter pin or something like that right and i'm so glad that like what happened happened like it's it went viral like everybody's talking about it you know people talking about banning starbucks again like all of these things and they had to change the policy they had to they were forced to change the policy because of you know the optics the public relations part of it but if if starbucks was an anti-racist institution that policy never would have been would never would have happened and they would have like in advance they would have like made a statement that they actively support the movement for black lives you know what i mean like they would have done that knowing full well that there's going to be a whole bunch of people in the suburbs of all the places where they have little stores that are going to stop going to their cafes and that they would have made that choice anyway. That's anti-racism work. That's part of it. Um, That's like, that's the big difference. It it involves a lot of like unpacking bias, unpacking your identity, understanding how white supremacy like infiltrates all these things and how we are perpetuating it because it's the things that we've been taught. The idea that you would turn into, that you would be an anti-racist institution requires time and very explicit action. I've been a little suspicious of like a lot of the people who are like all of a sudden, like we're an anti-racist institution. No, you're not For like sure. you want to be, but like you're not, that doesn't happen overnight. Cause you learn mm-hmm. the word, you know what I mean? Like it
0: takes time. Well, 100%. I mean, that's the whole thing with like that social media. That's yeah. so amazing, but terrifying at the same time that it's like, Amazon puts out a statement. They're like, "Yeah, we're support whatever," and everyone's like, "Yeah, go Amazon." It's like actually look at their actual fucking practices exactly. and the way that mm-hmm. they operate in the world, and the way so many of these companies operate in the world is so trash. And then they put yeah. out one statement. Everyone's like, "Yeah, perfect, sounds great." Like, no, right? It's it's ridiculous. There's so much that they do behind the scenes that is like perpetuating so much chaos and destruction in so many different ways. But yeah, yep. I, um, I wanted to, for in the coaching space, so how, do, how does coaching right now, as you see it, how do coaches perpetuate racism in the way that they show up?
2: Well, I think that there's a lot of things that we need to look at. Like we need to look at, for example, um, how we build coaching, like curriculum, like not just like the curriculum to train coaches, but whatever our curriculum is, like looking at it to make sure that it's not, Inherently biased, for example, um, that and not just that it's not inherently biased, but that is it is explicitly inclusive, right? So that it takes into consideration in very ex- and then is built in a very explicit way that you are talking about how identity intersects with some of the things that you're helping people with, especially if you're in like life coaching or empowerment or you know any of these things, any sector really. Thinking about how how identity and culture intersect with your your life coaching theory or pedagogy like you should be doing that. And on also I'll say that I my position and many people's position is that you're either like anti-racist or you're or you're perpetuating racism and you're like you're racist right? So there's not like an in between like oh we're not racist but we're not anti-racist. No, if you are not actively working to create inclusion and equity and to put things on the line and to create an anti-racist institution and that you're practicing on being that, then you're just like cool with the system we have. And so you're just perpetuating racism. So that's just where I stand and where many people stand with me on that you know, issue. So looking at curriculum, looking at contracts, looking at how we hire people, looking at how we, you know, like how we recruit coaches, like this whole I keep talking to coaches who are like, I can't hire a coach because or I can't hire someone because they need to go through my coaching program first. And my coaching program costs twenty thousand dollars a year. It's like, well, change it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just change the rule. You know what I mean? You can do that. Like that's why you went into business. Change the rule, do a training do to come let's come up with a way for it to happen instead of you telling me all the ways that it can't happen like mm-hmm. don't be so committed to how it can't happen mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. like that i just don't understand people's commitment and, to and like so, how hard things have to
1: be yeah. so attached to the monetary yes. like yeah. value rather than the
0: impact because it gives them the figures then they can say they can say they're six figures yeah. or seven figures yeah. shout right. out to the birds at your house too Oh, thank you. Yeah, the they're like singing in the it. background. I love they really them. are.
1: They're making me so happy. How do you like, you know, if you have people who are open to the, the diversity and inclusion work as a coach, but you see that like they have little to no awareness about where their blind spots might be yeah. within their own business, what are those first exercises, conversations like? Yeah, so for us, like we're, we're actually constantly kind of screening
2: for people's preparedness for this, Mm. because for some people who are just for the first time realizing that like racism is a thing, they're not ready to work with me. Like I don't seek those clients, you know, Um, they have to do some like consciousness raising. They need to read some books, listen to some podcast episodes, maybe do some work with someone else um, before they're ready to like work with with me and my team on like really doing the work in an institution. Because if you don't get it as a leader, you can't be a leader in an an anti-racist institution. Like you can't, you won't be able to hold the line for the work, you know, because people are going to challenge you, and if you don't have the language or the commitment to stand by it, you're going to kind of be like, oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't make that statement, or you know, maybe, maybe we don't need that Black Lives Matter sticker on the website or whatever, whatever it is. Like you, everything you'll be so nervous about every little thing. I mean, I get on the, I have gotten on the phone with people, not like on the on the phone, phone but on calls with people with many groups, and just the word, just me saying white people makes them like. Like rattled, and I'm just like, you can't, you're not ready for what we're doing here, <laughs> you know? Like
0: you just, you're like, you wait till I tell you about white supremacy,
2: <laughs> right? Like it just won't, it just, gonna it's not going to work. Yeah.
0: So yeah,
2: so people should do, yeah. So I encourage people to be like, you know, doing that work. People who are working with me are usually like, they have some awareness, or they're super committed, or they're like a combination of factors. But for for folks I'm working with, like they're either. Somewhere in their journey, and they're really committed to like building a business that is explicitly inclusive, and that they see and that they kind of see themselves as like an activist and they want their business to be an expression of those values, right? Um, for my higher profile clients, like the bigger corporations that we're working with, our work starts with deep, just personal work. So I'm on the phone with like CEOs. You know, in some cases, multi million dollar, multimillion dollar companies, right? And they're just asking questions like, why, why is this racist? Or what about this? And how do I say that? And just giving them space to just like talk um, without judgment so that we can like establish trust and a foundation. Because to do this work with me, people need to really be able to trust me um, because it gets intense. <laughs> people need to know that I have their best interest in mind but that i i have their best interest in mind but my highest interest is actually their black and brown clients like that is who i serve you know what i mean like these people are are hiring me to help them build some things in their company but like my commitment is to make sure that they're building an institution that is safe for people so we start with personal work and then we do like consciousness raising so we talk to their teams we talk about the history of racism in America we talk about how that's perpetuated in business and then we start looking at like all right let's pull out the curriculum let's pull out your contracts let's look like look at all the ways the all of the, the ways that some of these practices may have been institutionalized i also ask clients to like pull any customer service inquiries or complaints or you know like just feedback that is any like any kind of like comments around race or or what you know or um people not feeling safe like we look so we're like looking at what's happening in the community we're talking to clients we're talking to staff so it's a pretty comprehensive so when i work with coaching agencies and like institutions in the personal development world it's comprehensive
0: and i want to actually just talk about that next how do you build a business as a coach that is fully expressive of the values but just really quickly what about contracts could be well, I guess racist isn't the word but like tell me about contracts in this sense yeah so for example
2: um i have been working i have worked on some projects and have gotten some like you know cuz people will like People text message me or that people screenshot things that happen in groups and emails and they send them to me because they want me to know like what's happening in different right. places, right? So I have seen, for example, things where um, code like people have been in programs, someone has said something that is like either microaggression or racially charged that person no longer feels safe in the community or it's clear that like the people in the community have not been trained around issues of equity and that person wants to leave. And it's like, well, no, you're, you signed a contract. Got it. You know? Mm-hmm. And so there's mm-hmm. no space mm-hmm. to no account pause. for this like really deep. Yeah. Like these just non-binding, you know, like, or these binding contracts that are just like, or, you know, um, I'll let you out, but you can't talk about like what happened
1: here. Wow. My last question is around social media because in this day and age, coaches, really anyone, has a social media platform of some sort as a way to reach and communicate with their audience, expand their audience, and spread their message. So I've seen it all the past few weeks and had my own kind of personal reckoning with like, how do I want to show up online right now? Like, what is that proportion of showing up in private and online. And both Kristen and I have been feeling this very strongly. So what is your perspective, especially during this time when it's so important that we are speaking up and out and standing up for what we believe in and really looking at how we've been a part of the problem so that we can be a meaningful part of the solution? Like what is your perspective on that and how can we show up in a way that is really impactful?
2: Yeah. So I think that part of the answer to this is to really be in touch with your commitments. And that's why that that part of the work is really so important because not everybody is going to be online activists, right? But if, you're, if your me- social media presence is big and your like business is built around social media and you go silent during a global crisis, right? Like a, both a global pandemic and also social crisis that we're experiencing at the same time, people will notice. And there's like a, an expectation that you show up and I think that like if you're committed to being a leader in your space you mu- you should say something and you should have support to try to figure out what to say right like not that you need to hire someone to tell you what to say but that you should be in communication with your community to talk about this is what I want to say like this is what I'm thinking people shouldn't have to guess like where you stand on these matters that should be baked into what you're doing already right so the the you run into the most trouble here when, you, when you're not, like when people are confused about where you stand, right? Like if people knew where you stood, it, it would be easy to just keep doing what you always do, right? But if not, I think that like part of it is one understanding that you are, because you're, if you're a public figure, you're up for public critique. And that part, that just comes part of the platform that you've built. And you just, you have to just accept that you know and understand that people have the right to have the feelings that they're going to have you know and yes you are a person you know cuz i it it hurts sometimes when people are calling you out and bringing up stuff from the past and it hurts you personally and you are you've built yourself into a brand and so you have to like try to understand that there is a separation there and that people you know what i mean like yeah. and that's and you really need a Support for that, like you, a therapist, or co- like whatever, yeah. whatever your support systems are, like. But you need to be remembering that, like, you built this brand, and that that brand is up for public critique, and that that's part of it. The second thing is, I think, I think to be honest about where you are, like, don't rush into allyship, like, don't rush to put the, you know, I'm now an anti-racist institution, and you know, all these things, but just say. Own that you've made mistakes, own that you're gonna do better, own that you're concerned, like own that you're reflecting and that you don't know what to say all the time, you know? And that that's just part, you know, just know that that's just part of it. And not everybody's gonna love what you say and some people are gonna love it. But you, as long as you're being honest, like you have to be able to just live with that. It's gonna be messy. You know, there isn't like a perfect statement that you can make to make people feel like you're cool, like that, that everything's going to be cool. Like you just need to understand that if, as long as you're being honest about where you are in your journey, that you can stand in that no matter what else is happening. You can't control that part of it. You know, you can only control like your side of it. But I do think that like, and, but this, this is also part of like the work, right? Because we have, I believe that people, all people, who have businesses or who are leaders should have plans in place for how to respond in a in an emergency or like in a, a social crisis like we have disaster plans right like if there's a hurricane or if you live somewhere where there's like fires you typically have a plan for how you're going to respond to that so if you're a big public facing brand you should have a plan for like what happens when this happens when we're in a moment like this So like, for example, Marie Forleo, in her group, she could have had a plan for how to respond when people were talking about their identity or like who are expressing their frustration with the lack of inclusion or talking about George Floyd's death. Like she could have had a plan for that because those things have happened before. Like, we, you know, in in the world, we know that those things have happened. And so if we had a, if we were looking at our businesses through this lens of inclusion and equity and anti-racism, we would prepare for how to support people when they're in that kind of pain. Um, And then you wouldn't have what happened, like, you know what happened there, like around not being not responsive. And I know that she's trying to make that she's trying to make amends in various ways, but it's just a really good example of how like that didn't need to happen.
0: Yeah. Can you, can you explain a little bit more of what happened so people understand
2: Yeah. So, um, folks had been, there There were a number of folks in her B school group, you know, we're talking about, yeah, on, on Facebook who were talking about, um, they're not feeling included because we're in this social global crisis. So everyone's talking about it everywhere. Like it's affecting every single industry. So of course it shows up in the coaching industry and, um, people are talking about their identity and how it impacts business and, and bias and how they're, how they're feeling and the, and black lives matter and the protest and people like the people were shutting off comments, deleting comments. People were saying things that, you know, like all lives matter, like all of that. And they didn't. And then Marie Corleo first made a statement that like, they're shutting off comments because the team doesn't work on the weekends. And, you know, just like, and it, so, of course, people were screenshotting, and I woke up Saturday morning to like messages in my inbox, like for what was going down in the group. But like that, that kind of thing happened before in her group. So, how many times that has been my like question when I responded to, you know, my response to that, what had happened, that all of the pictures people were sending me was basically a call out to the industry saying like, how many times do we have to watch our colleagues handle this? Whether it's Daniel Laporte or like Gabby Bernstein or, you know, uh, whoever it is. How many times do we have to watch that happen before we look at ourselves and say like, oh, I, you know, I want to make sure that I never that 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 never happens to me. Not just because I don't want it to happen to me, but because I don't believe that we should. I believe that we should be doing better. Mm-hmm. So I want to do the work in advance to make sure that everybody feels included and that I never make that kind of mistake. Mm. Like how many times
0: do we have to see it happen before yeah, we start really. to? Yeah, it is kind of fascinating because even as a viewer of that situation, like I adore Marie. I think she's yeah she's amazing. But to see, you know, to see that happen, it was interesting because it's like I felt like I was like, oh I know you can't do that. You know, and our group has taught us right. that. Like it is kind of like, oh I, I you know you can't do that. But I would say that, you know, coaches are very And I'm not saying this about Marie. I'm not saying this about anyone that we've talked about. But my perception of coaches at that level is that they're very fragile, and so they they live and die by the identity that they're perceived as. That's how they make money: is being liked, being idolized, all of these things. So when you have that that situation in front of them, that is challenging. That that is like to them. Can be they, that's when they have that you know triggered response of like delete delete right. delete because it's 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 forcing them to look at the identity that they have and it, it's telling them that right. they might not be as good as they people perceive them to be if that makes yeah. sense. No,
2: that that's totally true and I think the reason that it came down especially for Marie Forleo because she she talks about how much she appreciates like hip hop culture and mm-hmm. she dances hip hop and she like, she has integrated that into her brand. So like to be out of touch in that kind of way, I think was just an extra, you know, it it laid it on a little like extra hard, you know, like, come on, like you really should know better here. Right, right. Um. But I think you're right. I think that people do have, you know, they have these brands and these, the perception of who they are and people need to like them. But I think that's why it's even more important to be in touch with, to be explicit about your values. Because if you are, then you're doing that same thing that we teach people. Like when we're trying to get them to pick their niche about like attracting and repelling, Mm -hmm. you're attracting and repelling people according to your values. And so like, you just won't have people show up in your group who are like, you know, white supremacists. Mm-hmm. If you're clear that that's not what you value, you know what I mean? That not only that you don't value it, but that that's not acceptable. And that we, you know, we deal with things, not just that you don't accept white supremacy, but that you have put into practice conditions that allow you to respond to the people in your communities because you can't disassociate like race and identity from business. If you're like, when you're a person of color or black, brown, black, indigenous, Latinx person, that is part of what you bring to
0: the table. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: And just, you know, on that piece with Marie, it's like, just as like a last thing, you know, Marie is incredible. The work she does is incredible. She's kind, she's smart. She's all the things. It's really like, I feel like so much of it is misconstrued by people from the outside to be negative. It's like negative calling out. She got called out. She got all these things, but it's more so like the black community, the people of color, just want to be heard and like just want to be seen and want to be recognized. And so much of it is that just like true, true wanting uh, to be seen, heard, and recognized that is misconstrued as mm-hmm. as someone being bad. Out, yeah. And anytime we've not anytime you know because two years ago when people would, you know, started to say stuff to us, you know, you guys need to be more thoughtful about all the things that you're doing and saying and people you're bringing on the show, whatever. Like I was incredibly triggered by it because it was like that wounded feminine where I was like, damn, I'm doing so fucking much. Like I'm working a full-time job. I'm trying to do all this stuff with you guys, for you guys, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, so much of that was my shadow work over the next two years. And now when I received that for the most part, not all the time. I'm so thankful that like, I was given the opportunity to see that point and to see that growth opportunity. So the last point I want to make about the Marie thing is that it essentially is a positive because it really will allow her now to go on that journey, if she hasn't already, to growth, to opportunity, to being more inclusive, and it'll make her work so much better.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I hope so. Like, you know, I... I said this in the the workshop that I did. Like, it was really hard for me to be like, well, you know, first of all, I, things have shifted over the last couple of weeks, but I was like, I'm going to do this uh, video and I'm going to write this article and, you know, people in my community will see it and that'll be it. But it was like shared, you know, like so many times. And like now, you know, Marie Forleo has like named, Rachel Rogers and I, like, you know, as people have like responded, I saw the so there's article. a lot of attention. Yeah. So there's a lot of attention now, like people are trying to understand more about my work, but it was hard for me to like, a, just a little bit, not it, to call out Marie Forleo because I'm like, I like Marie. For I sure. know, like, you know, like I know she's problematic and like, you know, like I want I want it. But when you care about be, someone. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I want you know, I want it to kind of be like, her, you know, you're her friend, like, you know, in my head, you know, we all have these like friends in our head. I'm like, no, she's cool. Like she means well. Right. Um, and one day maybe I'll be on Marie TV, you know, like I had that kind of like idea about it. I was like, if I call Marie Forleo, she's never going to want to talk to me, you know, but right. My commitment, because I'm so clear about my commitment. I knew that, like, if people were sending me this, <laughs> these things, they trusted me to speak on, to like speak about why it was so jacked up. I had no reason to believe that Marie Forleo would ever see the video I did, right? Like, uh, small fish over here, like, you know what I mean? Like, I no, I just thought that at least the people in my community who trust me and who look to me. for context and who want to understand why what happened was so wrong and you know and and for me to speak on it i was like at least i i'm committed to showing up and whoever hears it great right but that and that's what i mean like when you're committed to something you don't have to think about it
1: yeah that's where the personal risk comes in you know like that commitment really makes it clear and makes it so so impactful when people are willing to take that personal risk and really it's we like kind of pull back it's or pull up it's like for the good of all you know like there is this like because of social media there is this call out and cancel culture but really your willingness to to do the video is like this invitation into conversation you know if done in that way like it, it to me it doesn't seem a part of like a it's a two, two-sided two conversation that can be had, yeah. which I think is important right now where so many people are not having the conversations that could be the mm-hmm. seed that begins the healing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And for me and my work especially, it's really important that I am holding people accountable and educating and providing context, but also at the core, I believe that things can be better. Otherwise, there's no purpose to my work. Like, if I didn't believe that I can go into some of these institutions that are like, have never looked at any of these things before and that have been called out by people, if I didn't really believe that I can go into those institutions and create change, there would be absolutely no purpose for my business to Mm -hmm. exist, you know? Uh, And I'm not in the business of doing it just to make money. Because for the last couple of years, I mean I've done well, but I could have made more money like doing some other kind of work. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I could have been uh, a, just a regular business coach, right? Like making mm-hmm. way more money and like selling way high end t- ticket things. But I was like, I knew that I know that this is the work that I'm here to do and that this is the work that's transformative. So it was just like, I just gotta wait. eventually people will. I like,
0: love that. You know. Yeah. What's your last question? What's your hope for the future? Uh,
2: my hope for the future is that I don't have to do this anymore because we have fixed all the problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, honestly, like, this is the kind of work that you hope you do to work yourself out of a job. And then you can, like, do, you know, help in some other way. At the end of the day, I believe that the work of coaching, the process of coaching is the most transformative, that the potential for the most transformation exists in the coaching world, way more than education and the educational system or any other world. I think that the coach, that coaching, quality coaching has the some of the biggest potential for creating change, right? Um, just because of the nature of the work. And so because of that, I want all people to have access to high quality coaching, to be whether it's that they are starting businesses whether they need empowerment coaching or health coaching or whatever it is i want people to have access to it equitably so that everyone can benefit from having a coach right and so that means that i need to help institutions serve more people train more coaches be safe places for black and brown people to be successful so that those people can start coaching practices and make it more accessible and that it becomes part of our regular practice and that it's not countercultural anymore. So that's my hope that we really transform the the way that we work and that it then that everybody gets really in tune with the potential for impact that the industry can have because I don't think that we really I don't think that people really get that yet.
0: Mm. Amazing. Where can they connect with you Trudy?
2: Come and hang out with me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there more these days. So just at Trudy Lebron.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. And then your Facebook group is.
2: Yeah, you can hang out in the I Facebook appreciate. group. The Facebook group is uh, Business Remixed with Trudy Lebron. It's uh, the same name as the podcast. So yeah, come and hang out with me in either either place.
1: Love so that. good. Thank you for being here. Yeah, we this appreciate was so me. Me.
0: Much fun. Seriously, yeah. I'm super grateful. We appreciate it, and we'll keep you posted when we when we share. Great. Thank you so much.
1: Amazing. I'll Have see you later. Have a great weekend, Trudy.
0: All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you so much, Trudy. We appreciate you, trudylebron.com.
0: And we have some exciting things coming up. So we have a workshop with the New Paradigm Digital Series with Adriana Ayales, and it's Ancient Remedies in the Modern World. She is an herbalist and founder of Anima Mundi Herbals, and we talk about plant medicine and how we can incorporate it into our lifestyles every day. We also have our merch coming out soon, shopalmost30.com, and we have our freaking Malibu
1: Retreat. Cannot wait. Second week of August. This is a little slice of paradise. Uh, We had our first retreat last year and it was one that I'll never, ever forget. If you're wanting rest, relaxation, Lots of learning, growth, connection—we've got you. And the lineup for this retreat is incredible.
0: Yeah, we just had a human design session with Jazz, um, who is incredible. We have Milana Snow, Alexandra Roxo, Doc Jen Fit. We have sessions on mobility, restorative yoga. We have sound baths we basically have everything (laughs) if you love almost 30 incorporated into the retreat
1: and a really nice swag bag of sorts for the retreat that's going to be packed for you so you can go to almost 30 podcast.com slash retreat thank you all for listening we love you and we'll see you soon see you soon